0: it's kind of a pro tip that you got to make sure that you're not dealing with inflated rents that are not renewable in the future. And if you lose that tenant and you have to go to market, you're going to have to come with a real deal.
1: Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity, For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Colin Carr. How you doing, Colin? I'm doing great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about Colin, he's the founder and CEO of Carr, one of the nation's leading providers of commercial real estate services. He's been involved in commercial real estate since 2000 and has personally completed over 1,000 transactions. He's a licensed real estate broker in 10 states, based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, Colin, you wanna give the best ever listeners a little bit more
0: about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. My background is exclusively real estate. I started managing apartment complexes when I was 19. Mid-rise, high-rise, rural, moved to Denver in my early 20s, kept managing apartments for a few years, got into brokerage a few years after that, did Walmarts, Wendy's, Blockbusters, a lot of national retailers, moved into other aspects of office, industrial, investment, healthcare, and then started a firm about 12 years ago, and we are now operating in about 40 states, and we touch a couple thousand transactions a year and have a, a pretty good pulse in the market.
1: What's your personal area of focus right now?
0: I'm the CEO of the company and I oversee over 100 agents and we have a healthcare division. We have a commercial division, an investment division, and a senior housing division. So I oversee our agents' best practices and I do a lot on the investment and development side.
1: All right. So I was typing as quick as I could, healthcare, senior housing, and I know I missed a couple. What are some others?
0: Yep. Commercial, and then just an overall investment platform as well.
1: Okay. So when you say commercial, I think of senior housing facilities as commercial real estate. So what's commercial? How is defined here?
0: So we would differentiate commercial being corporate uses, CPAs, attorneys, architects, oil and gas, financial services. So everything that we do is commercial real estate. We have a just traditional commercial division that also touches those focuses of commercial tenants and buyers. And then we actually have a senior housing division and then an investment division as well.
1: Okay. When I hear investment division, I think, well, all of these are investments. So how is investment division different from senior housing investment or healthcare facility?
0: Great question. Our investment division is going after investors that are looking for income producing properties and we're helping them on the buy side, the sell side, the due diligence side. So our commercial division is corporations helping them with their real estate. Our healthcare is helping healthcare providers with their real estate. Uh, Investment is income producing properties with savvy investors looking to grow portfolios, acquire, dispose of, et cetera. And then same thing on the senior housing side. It's investors, developers, operators. So a lot of these overlap, though. There's investment deals happening in all those sectors, and it's a lot of overlap. Mm
1: -hmm. Which division is your least profitable?
0: That's a great question. All of our divisions are profitable, which is great. Great. Senior housing is our newest one. So we're touching a couple dozen deals in that sector right now in a handful of states, but that's our newest division that's only a couple years old. So Mm -hmm. still got a great expertise there, but that's one of our newer platforms.
1: And what are some reasons why you created a new division for senior housing? And how do you hit the ground running in order to grow that quickly?
0: So senior housing came to us because people knew how much healthcare work we do. We help a couple thousand healthcare providers each year with their real estate, so okay. we touch a lot of deals there. And so there's a lot of investors and a lot of developers that are involved with medical office buildings, complexes, and they want to get into the senior housing game. So we get a lot of people that try to come to us for advice in that world. But that's how senior housing came to be is just very ancillary and complementary to our healthcare world. Senior housing is an interesting niche because it's not just the real estate component, it's the operations. And really the operations drive the value, as you know. So that's a world that just takes a little bit longer to get into. Whereas a lot of profitability, a lot of opportunities, the amount of product that's needed in the senior housing market is one that literally cannot be met over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So there's a huge opportunity there. But there's more complexities, too, with compliance and operations and licensing. And so it's a little bit different world. And
1: from a broker standpoint, why is it harder to get into because of operations? This is my ignorance showing, but I wouldn't think that you all would be involved on the operations part. So it's like, all right, you're selling a property. So why does it matter that the operations are really important
0: with senior housing? That's a great question. So to understand how to value a senior housing facility, you've got to understand the operations and you've got to actually get in there and get under the hood and figure out how the property is being run because the operations are what drives the income, whereas if you're looking at an apartment complex or a multi-tenant office building, you can look at a rent roll and it's pretty clear to figure out what's happening. There's so many different variations of senior housing facilities, and there's a lot of concepts of, is it government subsidized? There's so many different facets of senior housing and there's different revenue streams in addition to just what do they pay per month for that room? What are the other services that are provided? So to understand or read for senior housing facility, you've got to understand how it's operated. Mm
1: -hmm. And is that as simple as hiring one person or bringing on one person who knows the industry and then he or she can train your team and now you're off and running or is it more involved than that?
0: it's really more involved in that it's a skill set that takes in my opinion years to really understand and learn and not trying to make it larger than it is or more complex than it is but there's just so many nuances is it independent living assisted living is it memory care is it a skilled nursing facility is it medicaid there's so many aspects to that world and then on top of that from a buying and selling side The facilities don't get put onto a commercial MLS or listing service predominantly, unless it's a really challenging property that is less than desirable. Whoever controls the listings controls the opportunity. So it's not one that you can get onto an online database and preview 15 facilities and see their income statements and rent rolls and balance sheets. You can't do that. So Mm -hmm. you've got to understand how to evaluate them, number one, and then you've got to figure out who controls the opportunity, number two.
1: Makes a lot of sense how you got into it given your connections with healthcare. So, can you talk about your healthcare business or division and what's a typical transaction look like?
0: Absolutely. So, our primary healthcare division represents healthcare providers, so dentists, physicians, veterinarians, and we help them with every aspect of their real estate interest. So, finding land, developing properties, new locations, relocations, a lot of lease renewals. And in doing so, we work with a substantial numbers of landlords, large REITs, developers, and we work with a lot of owners trying to figure out how to make their properties more valuable, how to increase occupancy, et cetera.
1: What's a recent transaction that comes to mind or recent deal, whether you're finding the location or the actual property
0: itself or selling it? Just something that we can talk about. So an owner purchases a building, wants to attract healthcare uses gets us involved in the process, figures out where's the deal got to be priced at, what do we have to do to make it attractive to healthcare providers, is it a viable healthcare option, and then if we can assist them in that process of bringing them numerous buyers, we can create a lot of opportunity out of changing a property from an office use to a medical use, etc.
1: What are some questions that you ask the owner during your due diligence process to determine if that office can be used for medical
0: some of the initial stuff we go through all the zoning go through those concepts but really it's the does the owner have a desire to invest heavily in the process medical office is a very attractive asset class of property markets go up and down the economy changes it will correct everyone knows that so if you're an owner you've got to look at it and say who do i want my property you want a franchise that maybe has thin or no margins and they're just trying to buy a market share to see if they can later sell and it's not really a long-term viable option. Are you concerned if you have a retail center and you've got a bunch of apparel and soft goods and you can pull up their income statements and realize that these guys are losing money quarter (laughs) after quarter and what's going to happen when you lose the 20,000 square foot forever 21 store that doesn't renew and how do you backfill that with four or five other people and who's going to backfill it? Or do you look at a medical opportunity and say, you know what, even when the market goes down, that dentist is not going to decide to start a landscape business. Or the mm-hmm. plastic surgeons they might tighten the belt they might trim some staff they might work four days versus three days a week but they're probably not going anywhere they're probably not going to change industry so we do a lot of education with landlords on why it makes sense to invest more money into a healthcare deal why if you can lock down a 10-year deal the tenants going to go in there and pump a couple hundred thousand dollars into the space they're more invested they've got more skin in the game why that makes sense to stretch further to make that deal And why that deal even though you might have to put a little bit more money into it or invest more why that deal actually ends up being a safer investment for you you put more money in so some people would say well no that's more risky but you're securing a more valuable blue chip tenant in a lot of scenarios and so we do a lot of education with landlords and developers and why they want these deals and then you get the right tenant they sign a 10-year lease they'll probably be there for 20 30 years so you can literally do a deal and not always, there's definitely changes, but a lot of times you can put that thing to sleep for a couple of decades.
1: You mentioned asking the owner, do they have a desire to invest money into it? But then you talked about how the tenant will put in a couple hundred thousand to get it to fit their exact needs. So what is the owner putting money into the property to do versus the tenant?
0: Good question. So the tenants put a lot of their own money into the spaces because landlords are typically not going to front the entire cost of the build out or the finish. We do ask the landlords to contribute as well. We're looking for both sides to be invested in it. So traditional office deal or industrial deal or retail deal, the landlords are going to put money into the space to attract good tenants. A lot of times on the healthcare deals, we ask them to put in a little bit more than they would for a traditional office use or retail use but we in turn put in more money than the traditional user as well. And a lot of times we're doing longer term leases and we've got a much lower default rate. Most of our healthcare uses have less than a 1% default rate. So it's a more secure investment. So we ask the landlords to put more money in because our clients are putting more money in and they're willing to do longer term leases and they carry a higher success rate, lower default rate with them.
1: Is the landlord putting in money
0: prior to getting a tenant? Typically we tell them don't touch the space on a healthcare deal until the actual healthcare provider or tenant shows up because you think they want that type of lighting or ceiling or walls or bathroom, and then they want to change the location or finishes. And so we don't like landlords to put money into spaces. a lot of times landlords are trying to put it into a vanilla shell format or vanilla box, and we don't mm-hmm. want that because they're going to upgrade it almost every time. So that's another way for landlords not to waste money on a vacant space is wait till the tenant shows up. Don't spend money in advance.
1: Is it usually 50-50 on improvements or what?
0: No, it's usually a per square foot basis that comes into line with the lease rate to where some landlords say, hey, I'm not going to put in more than one year of total rent into the deal. If it's new construction and they're financing the money and they're going to turn around and sell it, they might put in two, three, four years of rent into that initial space. So it depends. Is it first generation? Is it second generation? Are they a long-term owner? Are they going to around and sell it? Is it the cash they're putting in? Are they going to finance it? So it just depends on who the owner is and the structure. But... Typically, on most healthcare spaces, it's between one to two and a half years of total rent usually gets put into the concession package of TI allowance, free rent, stuff like that.
1: So for someone listening to that, and if they're thinking, okay, so in a medical transaction where you bring a healthcare provider, if I'm a landlord, I'm going to have to put in on average one to two and a half years of total rent that I receive, (laughs) So I'm not making any money for one to two and a half years. Why would I ever do that? And you mentioned already long-term, but is there anything else that we should be thinking about where it's like, oh man, the first two years are gone. I'm not making any money.
0: A lot of landlords are going to finance that tenant improvement allowance and a lot of lenders are going to be more prone to give money for that tenant improvement allowance, especially if it is a healthcare use and a long-term lease. So but there's definitely owners that want to put cash in up front and not go to the bank. But if you get a loan on the property already, which most landlords do, most lenders are going to give money for that tenant improvement allowance to secure that tenant. And so at that point, it's spread or a margin game. And Mm -hmm. the other thing that comes into play too is for the landlords that are willing to put money into the space, they're going to typically capture a higher lease rate which means the property is worth more. So whether you look at it as, hey, I'm a long-term owner, that's fine. But most people are always looking at what's my exit strategy. And so the higher the lease rate, the better the cap rate, the higher the property. And so a lot of landlords are looking at properties. Hey, if I could buy this property and let's just say it's getting $20 a square foot for rent. And if I were to put a little more money into it and get a healthcare use in there, I could maybe get $23 a square foot in rent. Well, $3 a square foot on a six cap or a seven cap, all of a sudden my property's worth 200 grand more or 800 grand more or whatever it is, depending on the size of the property. So it's a numbers game of, can I put more money into the space to attract a better tenant, longer term lease, and then a better cap rate because it's a stronger credit tenant, lower default rate, and then can I raise the value of my property? So that's the game is if you got a property and you're normally getting local mom, pa, retailers or short-term office leases, and you can detract the long-term healthcare use, you can raise the value of your property substantially by getting healthcare in there.
1: What's been one of the more challenging transactions you've personally worked on?
0: How many hours do we have to run <laughs> through that list? Almost every commercial deal I, we do has A specific one. In. I'm
1: looking for a specific example that you can tell us a story about.
0: Man, that's a great question.
1: It could be a recent one. I'm just looking for a story from you about a transaction where there was a challenge, you overcame it, and here's some things we can learn from it.
0: I would say a specific deal that I'm thinking of right now is you find a landlord, and I think this is a specific deal, you find a landlord that bought a building a number of years ago, the the tenant had an above market lease rate when it was purchased, annual increases pushed the lease rate up 3% every year, and then you come to the lease expiration date and you get ready to do a lease renewal. And the landlord is 100% set on not reducing the lease rate because they don't want to discount their cash flow, discount the value of the property. But the deal is way over market. The tenant's not going to stay. So you end up in an arm wrestling match with the landlord, and they're assuming that the tenant's not going to move, but the tenant has to move because they can't pay that type of rent. So Leva's got to come to grips with the fact that they didn't do good due diligence up front and it was an above market lease rate and they can't capture and maintain that rate moving forward. Mm-hmm. And once that lease is over and that tenant moves out, they're going to have to come to market with a real deal for the next person. So that's a traditional deal. That's what I'm thinking of right now is hey, you're 20% above market. I know it looks good on paper. I know you bought it thinking it was a great cash flow. It's not real. So It's kind of a pro tip that you got to make sure that you're not dealing with inflated rents that are not renewable in the future. And if you lose that tenant and you have to go to market, you're going to have to come with a real deal. Mm -hmm.
1: What a great piece of advice mentioning that, because if I go to look at deals and I see an office building and the seller says, hey, market is X amount of dollars, but I got you even better at Y, I think, ah, That's awesome. (laughs) And this is going to be a better deal than I'll get anywhere else because I'm getting better market rents. But as you said, there are some pitfalls of that when the lease expires. So then what I would need to do in order to make sure that deal still makes sense is determine what type of market demand there is for that type of tenant. And if there's a whole lot of demand for that tenant, then I guess I still shouldn't assume that I'd be able to get above market rents upon the lease renewing, but At least there will still be more tenants to fill in if this one leaves.
0: Absolutely. You got two sides of the coin. You got why are the lease rates below market and is that really the lease rate? They say, well, this is a below market lease and you're going to be able to bump it up on a renewal well, I will right, well show me that you've achieved that the last couple leases you've done and show me where the market's at. So that I have the track record that you've been able to do that. And then the other side of the coin is, Hey, look at these lease rates, they're captured premiums and these are a lot higher than our competing properties in the market or other comps. And the question is, is that sustainable in the future or do I need to discount that value and underwrite it differently? The same concept applies with you get a property that's hundred percent leased. You've got to put a vacancy factor in there and assume that you're going to run a vacancy over time and on an average. You've got to put a five or 10% vacancy factor in there. So yeah, there's definitely pro tips as far as if it's below market, why? If it's above market, why? And I think really the question comes down to what's sustainable and that's where you've got to tap market experts to give you that advice and just make sure that you're doing your due diligence.
1: Based on your experience as a real estate professional, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors looking to purchase or in the industry of buying healthcare or having commercial properties that cater to healthcare professionals?
0: My advice would be to find the people that are the most likely to bring you those tenants. So when you're talking about buying a medical office building and you're talking to the seller, look at what they've done as a track record because that's a great indication of hopefully what you'll be able to accomplish as well too. But it's really easy just to talk to the selling party and let them give you all the information, all the play-by-play, but at the end of the day, they're not gonna be the ones probably bringing you the new people for your space or helping you to renew those people. So I would say find an industry expert like a company that represents healthcare tenants and buyers and then ask them what would be your objections to bringing your clients to the center What would we have to do to attract your clients to the property? Do you think the market can sustain these lease rates? What type of TI allowance do I need to do to put into these deals and get a perspective from the other side of the table with someone who's not involved in that transaction, not the listing agent, not the seller, but talk to somebody who is viably going to bring you an option or bring you a tenant for the future and get their perspective on it because it's going to be very different than what the seller's telling you, trying to sell you the property.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, that's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com. What's a bad piece of advice that you've received over the years?
0: Thinking the market's not gonna change. Thinking that, hey, we've got this the last five years, it's gonna continue to be that way, and just not realizing the market is gonna shift.
1: What's the best ever resource that you use in your business that is really helpful for you, whether it's an online resource, an app, some website, something
0: like that? Same as two times ago. Talking to the market expert who's not involved in the transaction to give you an independent third-party perspective on how viable is this location, this space, this deal, this price, and how would you critique it for your clients if you were bringing us a tenant or buyer for this?
1: What's been one of your favorite transactions that you've done?
0: Favorite transactions, I would lump them together as beginning deals in the business, grinding out the dirtiest, lowest priced, worst location, (laughs) industrial deals you can possibly imagine, and just learning how to put together a deal learning how to treat people, learning how to figure out how to solve problems and just thinking back to the worst property you'd ever want to go to and then getting that deal done and making no money on it whatsoever, but <laughs> realizing you found a way to make a win. And at the end of the day, even though it was a down and dirty property, the tenant was happy to be there and learning how to do deals.
1: How do you not make money when you transact a deal, even if it's a bad deal, like a, a bad area?
0: As a broker, you're paid up usually upon, could be a per square footage commission, but a lot of times it's a percentage. And so I'm thinking of the 1,100 square foot machine shop industrial deal with a $4 lease rate, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, <laughs> where you spend months on a deal and you make a couple hundred bucks or something like that. Uh, just, okay. You know, where you look at your time, you're like, wait a second, I think I. <laughs> I think I paid a dollar fifty an hour on this deal. We've <laughs> got monster success stories. And right. Making a ton yeah. on deals. That's great. But honestly, it's the deals that you learn to cut your teeth on. And even the ones where maybe you lost some money, but you learned a lot. Those are my favorite because that's the foundation you build upon.
1: Best ever way you like to give back to the community.
0: I love sharing information and helping people take what I've learned and then help them become more successful. Because that's really what I've done over my career is... I've had the benefit of picking people's brains, asking the exact questions you're asking now, getting their insight, and then taking the lesson that a guy took 20 years to learn, and then he shares it with me and saves me all the heartache and pain. So doing the same thing of taking my information, the skill set, the contacts, introducing people to those same people, those lessons, and then helping them to build upon the foundation that I've laid, which is really the foundation of hundreds of other people before me.
1: How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you?
0: website is car.us R.us, and in the upper right hand corner you can find an agent so if you want to talk about the viability of a deal or get a perspective from us before you buy a property or invest and pick someone's brain, our team, our agents are happy to do that. We do it every day. They won't charge you for it. They'll just give you free advice and give you their thoughts and you can get in touch with someone locally that could give you a lot of information that could help you in the process.
1: You are a wealth of knowledge. It's so nice talking to people who are so knowledgeable about what they do and it is very clear that you know your industries that you're in and it's just fun. I love talking to people like you. So thank you for being on the show, talking to us about the four divisions of your company, talking about how you got into senior housing as a result of being in healthcare and then going deep in healthcare in particular from an investor standpoint and what to look for. So thanks for being on the show. Really enjoyed it. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon.
0: Appreciate that. Thanks so
1: much.